Hey, welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Andy Littleton. I'm uh, sitting across the world from Eric Seepin because we're back on Zoom because uh, Arizona's withering away. Um, and so, anyway, it's a bummer not to be in the studio, but it's the right thing to do. Uh, Eric and I, today we were talking about, um, we started off with things like the Lincoln Project and the AND campaign and vote oh, common good. Not your conscience. I'll put. I'll put. A, I'll try to put links to all three of those so people can kind of go explore them. Great, that's a good idea. And uh, and then we yeah talked a little uh, a little politics in the church after that. So I I think it was good. Um, yeah, all the way through. Thanks for joining. As usual, this is uh, Andy and Eric having breakfast and working something out. This is not um, coffee. Yeah, I and coffee and a little pink plate look at that i really oh, ate but uh you know this is not the village and mission church laying down statements mm-hmm. so hang out with us uh consider the conversation maybe you have some thoughts maybe there's something you'd like to recommend to us at faithoverbreakfast at gmail.com talk about in the future thanks take it easy man enjoy your meeting not being a small square yeah it's hard because i don't know about you but you know I've, it is it's obvious all the evidence is that you know it's terrible here in arizona but i see things around us even my mom's independent living home just sent out an email that they're reopening more and i'm like why now you've done you've done so well with this why and it seems like that's a lot of things but then if i'm honest even i feel that way too right because like i want to be i'm like i don't want to not be in the studio um or anything else it's tough yeah it is it is tough um but I just feel like, I, especially since I have a meeting more people outside, I kind of tried to keep it to that. That means my exposure is a little higher than it has been when we've met in that room. Right. So. Mm-hmm. No, it's the right call. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's like this internal struggle where you look around and all the evidence says dig a hole in your yard and climb in it and cover yourself with the earth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, yet I don't feel like it, but in March when, you know, probably it wasn't nearly that bad. Yeah. I was hand sanitizing every five seconds. And yes, it's, it's a, you know, it's interesting how the psyche and your perception of it factors in. No, I agree. Uh, and speaking of which, a long time. 
speaking of which, have you, uh, have you seen these Lincoln Project videos? Any of, any of the ads? Uh, I have actually not seen the ads, but I have uh, listened to a pretty extensive interview with all of its founders. Hmm. And why they formed it and what their goals yeah. are. So they, I, I've watched a few of them and um, I don't, I don't really have the TV on, so I guess these are, these are all over. They're putting them on Fox and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I haven't really been watching TV, so I, I haven't seen that. But one of them was, or several of them have been about the coronavirus response, and there's one that's really aimed, it's aimed more at Fox News than it is at Donald Trump. But it, it just... I guess it showed an internal memo at the beginning to Fox News that said something about we can help through this difficult time. And then it was just all these clips of Fox News anchors, contributors calling it a cold or uh, saying, you know, I have a better chance of getting stabbed by a heroin needle than getting coronavirus. And, um, you know, just, just downplaying it over and over and over and over. And so they, they really took aim at the narrative yes. that a news outlet spun concerning coronavirus. And of course, that news outlet was criticizing other news outlets of spinning the narrative about coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, that's kind of, those videos led me to kind of discover the Lincoln Project in a way. I heard something, there was a news story that, had something to do with how effective they were in bothering or getting under Donald Trump's skin. And so I became a little interested in that. And then it made me think of the and campaign that's being talked about a little bit in i I've heard a few people at our church mention it. You send over this other vote your conscious thing, conscience thing. I'm good. Yes. And it feels to me like, I mean, it's just interesting. I, I have been, I mean, I'll just, I, I've been a registered independent for a long time and I've, I've had a real aversion for a long time about being on one side of the political spectrum or the other. Uh, that doesn't surprise me, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been called a, I've been called the high priest of the centrist recently. So there was that. Or the high um, priest of the centrists. Yeah. But it's interesting because uh, here I, I've, I've often felt like there just weren't a whole lot of people in that boat. A few, but not much. But all of a sudden, it's, it's, you've got the Lincoln Project, which is devout Republicans opposing the Republican and really like pushing to elect the Democrat is what's happening. Uh, vote your conscience. I mean, their stated purpose is probably more similar to the Lincoln Project. It's just a different approach, but it's to not reelect Donald Trump. Like that's the stated purpose of the organization. Uh, the AND campaign's been around before Donald Trump, and so they their stated purpose is to combine um, like social social action and biblical values, like morality stuff. Right. Um, and and it's a movement of urban Christians, especially. But it's um. 
that's interesting to, to me. How do you read that desire to put these things together and not have it's a, it's almost, it's like, it's not divisive, but it still really is because it's still pitting something against Donald Trump. Sure. As explicitly with the Lincoln project and vote your conscience, it's explicitly doing that. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, it's vote, vote common good, but yes. Just oh, get, sorry. Vote, common good. vote your conscience. <laughs> yeah, you vote too. common good. My bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The idea of voting for everyone instead of voting for just your little political kind of wing. But um, so my thought is that a lot of these are going back to what Ronald Reagan believed. And he always said that for someone to be 80% your friend, that doesn't make them 20% your enemy. Mm. And so if you can get together against a common enemy <laughs> with those who may not agree with you in all places, but you agree to a, a percentage or maybe about the core values of liberty and... Well, that's all you're ever going to get is a percentage. You're right. never going to find your clone. Right. The rule of law, those kinds of things, that they feel Donald Trump is completely violated. They can all get together on that. Yeah, the uh, common enemy theme is something I thought of. I thought... And I would say I would exempt the AND campaign from this in this moment because they predate this particular situation. But... But these, the other two movements seem very much like a united, it's, it's uniting against a common enemy and that enemy is the president. Yeah. And I will, I'll say this. So since Ronald Reagan, the Republicans have ruled. Mm -hmm. um, even with the election of, of Clinton and uh, Obama, both uh, centrists who were slightly left when they first were elected, um, and appealed to the moderates and, and you know, maybe the southern um, blue staters. But here, here's the thing. In the Republican Party, it used to be, you know, you could elect a moderate liberal in Vermont and a right-wing conservative in Arizona, and they all could be under the same party umbrella. Mm -hmm. but, but Donald Trump, and this was starting... Uh, really started probably when Obama got elected, but the undercurrents were there from Rush Limbaugh and others, other populists and nationalists, uh, that needed a litmus. Your Zoom frozen on my end, my friend. I'm probably in the recording there part. All right, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm gonna try rejoining you on my phone because it looks like my internet on this computer seems to be really flaky or something. Hmm. Um, but we'll try to go for it. Anyway, what I was saying was uh, just the umbrella and the national populist kind of movement. So the litmus test for somebody. So it became very monolithic. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that's really what, you know, got us Donald Trump. And I think that's what people are, are kind of struggling to handle. 
Now, you know, an interesting thing I thought of, um, I, I should say, I, I guess I kind of want to parse out some of the differences. The AND campaign is strictly, they're saying we are a Christian organization. Vote Common Good is closer to that. Yeah. Doug Paget. I mean, not, he's viewed as a... Well, he's, a, he's a progressive... Progressive Christian, sure. Yeah, yeah. so that, that but, institution is, you know, they're going to vote for women's reproductive rights over... They're going to see that as a victory over maybe... Well, and the AND campaign would say that there's... They, they actually distinguish that in the common space... They, they want Christians to stay devoted to what they would say is probably what I would say is like the biblical vision for human sexuality, but they want, they, they don't encourage you to necessarily carry that into your public vote. Right. Um, and so that's, that's a nuance. And then the Lincoln project is, is not religiously tied at all. It's purely political. So but if you listen to their leaders talk, they are talking about morality, mm-hmm. law. I have no doubt that, especially being kind of old guard Republicans, that probably a lot of these dudes are. Yeah, they're, they're half old, and then there are a lot of young millennials who are running that. And I'm not saying old men, old, maybe old guard, old, uh, a different brand of Republicanism is what I should, should yeah, speak. Definitely. Yeah. Um, now, now here's the interesting thing, you know, as I was thinking about all this this morning and how these movements are bringing people from different parties together and people who want to nuance things out, I, you know what I thought was, uh oh, you know what the truth is? Did you really think that? You thought, uh oh, do you know what the truth is? Yeah. Uh oh, you know what the truth is? Donald Trump's doing the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the, it's almost, it's sad. I, I hate putting it in this way, but it's almost like he led the movement. He, he brought people from different, you know, he hasn't, he didn't just come in on a Republican ticket. He didn't come in on a morality ticket. He didn't come in on a, uh, he's got a, he's got a unique, amalgamation of views that I know I'm not saying he came in on a nationalist ticket. I think he used them. I don't even personally, I, I think he knew, he knew who he could rally and he used them. Maybe. I mean, I just don't know. Like I, I haven't watched a ton of Donald Trump in his past life. You know, the dude that supported Clinton and all this other stuff, but it just feels to me like, you know, and this, and this is, I've heard this commentary, but this is my honest appraisal. It seems like Donald Trump's main commitment is Donald Trump. Yes. Um, not so much nationalism or anything else. It's like whoever will get him where he wants to go, he'll capitalize on it. Right. Um, and for those, for the, for those he's aligned with to get things done, it's working and they like him, though he may not like them as much as they think he does. That's my read on it. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, I'm just Andy in Tucson sitting outside next to my axe. What do I know? 
I don't really, I don't know this guy. I don't know any of these people. No, they just have an impact on your life. They yeah. have an impact on the people you, who you lead as a pastor and care for. Yeah. And your friends. I mean, that's all the, unfortunately we, yeah. it's funny. I was, I was preaching on the Son of Solomon this week, this last week, and it's one of the few non-political books in the Old Testament. <laughs> raisin <laughs> cakes and yeah, and, raisin uh, cakes and apples. But wrestling the reality up. is, everything's political for the most yeah. part. It, we live in a political world, like rulers. Yeah, from the criticized Song of Solomon. He could find a way. Something about sexual expressions in there. Yeah, yeah. And if and if it or if it's a metaphor and it's God and His people, that's very political. Sure, but it's about love. That's political. God's love for people. <laughs> it's not about governmental structures and what happens when you violate those structures and the consequences of. But what about when those structures tell me how to love? Yeah, don't see that there either. It's poetry. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just <laughs> trying to annoy you. <laughs> Whatever. The reality is Jeremiah is like a lot more political than the Song of Solomon. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Granted. But anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we are political beings. The real question is how, as a follower of Jesus, you deal with this? You know, I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would tell us that we, to, to be people who separate ourselves from the political process, are to be people who aren't following Jesus. Well, and it took, you know, to be fair, I, and I read a, I, I read a Bonhoeffer biography this year. It, he, this was, he, he would have said something like that after years of, of processing what, you know, what was happening around him. He, his movement was not, he didn't just, wake up one day and say things like that. It was years of being shaped and leaving Germany and coming back to Germany and right. the influence I mean, yes. of Union Seminary and, and there's so many things. Yeah. Right. And Karl Barth telling mm -hmm. him to go back. Yeah. It's a decisive moment. But yeah, I, I think he had to come to that, but he does contribute a view because of his experience. Certainly, you know, Calvin, Martin Luther, all these, you know, Martin Luther King, they all have a journey that gets them to a place. Is this our journey to work out what it is that we're called to? Yeah, oh, I'm, no doubt. Um, and, and I'm sure just as with, I mean, Bonhoeffer, his version was shared by very few. Yeah. Um, it was a very small group that ended up deciding to do what he did and it didn't like quote unquote work though no. it left, left quite a legacy. Yeah. Um, you know, similarly a lot of, uh, I don't know. How do you, how do you see these, these campaigns, these ideas vote common good, um, you know, and campaign, even Lincoln project. How do you see them squaring up with some of these powerful leaders who made a difference? I mean, are they, too are they trying to be too nuanced um that something that the article i read on the lincoln project said was what they're getting right and this is by what by getting it right they mean they're it's working is that 
they're not nuanced. They're being very direct and emotional and they're pushing very hard in the other direction, utilizing the values that they know certain people have. So they're talking about, there's a coronavirus one about the veterans, World War II vets, and how some of them have died of coronavirus and it just ends with a guy on a ventilator, uh, supposedly. So it's pulling on the, the strings of the people that have supported Donald Trump, yeah. but it's being very direct. Whereas the two Christian ones we're talking about are being very, trying to be very like, very nuanced. Is nuanced... Well, I would say that what's the place for good is is pretty out there. They're willing to say they're they want Democrats elected. That's supposing the common good right now. Yeah. Or moderately liberal Republicans. Sure. But I, I here's the thing. I want to say that for followers of Jesus, we have we I think we said this in our last talk thing was this is a spiritual war. That all we and it starts there. Yeah. The conversation and I think that that gets lost. I don't hear that anywhere. Yeah. And I think there's a there's an overemphasis on two things: doing things and um, doing things, and then also putting morality on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So the people from Vote Common Good feel that they are doing the morally right thing, and you, Andy, need to do what they're doing yeah. to be doing the morally correct thing. And I think that's a very American thing. It's funny, like when I listen to N.T. Wright, and he talks about, they'll ask him, what's the difference between England and, and the U.S.? And, and he always says, well, the good part of the United States is they actually want to look deeper at things than we do. He said the bad thing is they think that everything has a right and a wrong all the time. And that we are always looking for the moral answer in every single thing. And so it it kind of ruins or it it makes our conversations very difficult. Right. And, and I think that's really true. You're either right or you're wrong. You're, you're, being moral you're being immoral it's there's no right and that morality moves itself from not just you know it's wrong to kill someone it's wrong to take someone's life it moves to you interpret the gospel slightly different you look at political your political understandings are slightly different that's morally wrong or on the precipice of being you know sure you know you can bring it down to debates over what kinds of pizza to eat has a moral, oh, there are morally right and wrong. Answer. Exactly, and that I and mean, we joke about that, but it's true. <laughs> that's how many of us think. Yeah, and so I think that's part of what, as followers of Jesus, we have to deconstruct at some level. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really interesting because, um, in a way, it's like we need more moral compass. Sometimes, so I, you know, I'll, I'll just share a little rabbit trail. I've been down not too long ago, but in my custom furniture world, you know, everybody's trying to work down the price, and there's always, you know, there's capitalism and who can make it the cheapest and all that stuff. But then people who will say, I mean, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, I want something locally made, 
And then they end up going out and buying something that's, you know, made in India or whatever. And, and I've, I've thought, because I can't find the documentary on furniture, but as soon as somebody sees, you know, the clothing factories in India, they start to get uncomfortable with the fact that these American, manu- you know, quote unquote manufacturers just buy everything from there and mark it up a ton. Now, and, and I almost wanted to like make a documentary, go find who's, what, you know, children are building your furniture. Um, it looks cool, but you know, it, you almost need a deeper moral sense of, I need to spend money that supports things that aren't taking advantage of people and enslaving people, but we do it all the time. We just don't look. So in a way we need more of a moral sense, but because in our society we are looking at that in so many areas and I'm, and I'm t- saying I, I do one of them, we have become a very moralistic and judgmental society and, uh, and we're constantly measuring one another's righteousness. And, and I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about everybody. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and we don't know our way around it. And then, and then we get frustrated. So there's the, the morals that we, th- we think are important and we want other people to adhere to them. And there's the morals we think are oppressive and we want people to leave us alone with those. Right. And, uh, and the gospel really does you know, bring a whole different uh, paradigm to all this to where you can actually love morals but not be justified by them. And it's, it's unique and it's just a whole... It's a whole different ballgame. Um, so do you feel like these, like the AND campaign and, and Vote Common Good, um, I mean, are they, as you're describing this, you know, they're saying, are they, are they really offering a Christian way? Interestingly, you were talking about the spiritual battle. You know who I hear that the most from? is from like people who people who I know who I've talked to recently who voted for Donald Trump and think he's very important will say it's a spiritual battle. We need somebody who's going to oppose abortion and be pro-Israel. It's a spiritual battle. Everybody who says who I've heard say spiritual battle wants Donald Trump in there, oddly enough. Right. And my counter to that is I'm not talking about a nationalistic spiritual battle. So define, yeah, yeah, work that out. And, and I know you're not. I'm just saying, like, that's where I hear the language. Right. Uh, in that, in, I, I, okay, so Donald Trump, Joe Biden, you know, and any other institution in my mind, even if it's got people who follow Jesus in it, are secular institutions that I, follow I the rule of God. So let's really quick, secular is just, all it is, is a group of people trying to work together that, who, who must live together. They, they live in the same area, city, nation. Secularism is working together with people who are different. Right. And in those institutions, there are two evil forces behind them. One, there is the forces of darkness that are big forces, like that that pick up steam like racism or right. or un um, what do you call it unregulated capitalism sure. or unregulated socialism like these are forces and behind them that are empowered by greed empowered by 
they're like there are forces that evil can push then there are also spiritual beings that are behind and want to destroy all of those things my job is a and they'll, and they'll take and they'll destroy any version of them and they'll take any opportunity right right and so citizenship is always secondary in a secular community for followers of jesus yeah because primary citizenship is in the kingdom of god and if you don't understand what the values of the kingdom of god are and yeah you can celebrate the ones that show up in in this in the the ruling body and you can say wow that's a very gospel thing just like what you should yeah. say to people who don't follow jesus who act like jesus you shouldn't say yay that's a great thing you should say wow you're being jesus this is what jesus values you're doing what jesus values i want to celebrate what jesus values and that's similarly in the lives of people who don't know jesus you can you can identify something that is anti-gospel that's hurting them or whatever you you know and and speak to that and even speak to how jesus offers something different you can do that so when i say spiritual battle is i would say people say hey this is a spiritual battle we need donald trump i would have to seriously quiz them to say have you actually spent time discerning together with both your community and a larger Christian community, what God is doing and what the enemy is doing? Or have you decided by a set of principles that this is a spiritual battle and you're just gonna go run out there with your sword and say that without ever fasting, praying and contemplating and asking God to reveal what really he wants his citizens to do. That's not a collective thing we're in. I think it'll look different when we yeah. when we end up playing it out and and look i think this is american history christians right. are, are on either side of the civil war yeah. Christians are on either side of the revolutionary war christians are the way they understand themselves is going in the world is going to be different i was gonna say like i i would if i had to venture a guess if if people said okay eric i'm gonna i'm gonna commit to that i'm gonna pray and i'm gonna seek god with my community they'd still come out on different sides of it is yeah. what I'd guess. I guess. I agree. And I think one of the harder parts is to sit in the middle because when yeah. I sit with people in my church who are conservative and who agonize over the death of young babies being aborted, and I can see the pain and agony in both their own stories, the way yeah. they fought, because we have a big activist in our, in our church who's probably one of the more prominent ones in Tucson, right? all over the United States. And so I understand like, his pain as he watches this and his and, and so he's consumed by that violence and by that and trying to stop that injustice um i can sit there i can then also sit with people who are on the other side of that yep. who really want to fiercely fight for the rights of women and they see the government taking away those rights and they are doctors who see the effects of these things and you're like okay uh, these are two people following their passion and what they think god's calling them to how do they live out life together and affirm each other's journey with when in some ways it seems to oppose well you can yeah. only do that by listening to the spirit of god together right and and uh picking aside doesn't seem to facilitate a lot of that at all or any you know very much of that it's it's very difficult if you've if you picked a one of the polarized sides 
Another thing that was crossing my mind was, you know, just we know that this happens as it regards um, the gospel or self-righteousness or something like that. So it would be that it's not, it's not as simple to say the devil's over here and God's over here, you know? So let's take, let's take like the Pharisees, for example. So the Pharisees, um, they would say the God is over here with the nation of Israel and God is over here with being dedicated to your prayers. And God is over here with um, being, you know, as, as devout to following the rules as possible. That's God is over here. And Jesus comes in and he goes, no, you're, you've actually, the enemy has deluded your mind. You are self-righteous. Um, this, this temple will be torn down and you need to go pray in secret where nobody can see you because the, you know, you're, you've actually the devil's in you. He's tempted you. And then, and then there's the, the people who would say, you know, it's like, nobody can tell, you know, nobody can tell me what to do. And they're, you know, they're like in the opposite you know, side of things. And they'll say that the devil's in the system and the, all this stuff and, and uh, freedom of the individual. And, and so back in Jesus's day, there's probably people who the tax collectors or whatever, who are like, look, I'm, I'm not going to do this temple junk and I'm not really worried about the nation. I just got to look out for myself. Like I, I got to work. I got to do what I got to do. And Jesus comes in and goes, no, it's not that either. Um, you're, you're consumed. You're, you're, uh, you know, he didn't say, go be, go be a Pharisee, go be a nationalist. But he, but he also said, don't take advantage of other people to get to, to get where you want to get. And so it feels like there's always this, this push pull. Um, I mean, even just when it comes down to gospel principles, the greatest temptations can be to, be to justify yourself by being self-righteous or to rebel against God because he's untrustworthy. Um, and neither one of those is what is what the gospel calls us to. So it feels, it feels like these polarized sides are always there. And it feels like in the political world, that's probably also true that, that following Jesus is going to keep you from running off in any, in any extreme because there are temptations on any of those ends. I would say like in our current system of Republican, Democrat, left, right, there are major temptations and pitfalls in each of those systems. And Christians are going to have to kind of walk within them, but you'd better not think that they aren't, that one of them is, is safe. Right. I don't well, I think, you know, the Christians, uh, you know, think about Mount Rushmore. The Christian answer, actually, the gospel answer is to look at Mount Rushmore and say, you think these are your gods? You think right. these are the people who delivered you? They right. can be torn down. They don't matter. And to say to the people who are, you know, Native American who wants to tear them down, tearing them down may give you something but it's not going to give you everlasting peace. Only everlasting yeah. peace is going to come from a man who will listen to your pain and story. And yes. that's, that's the gospel. Now, yeah. I, I agree. I was, I've been thinking about that in light of the monuments um, that, you know, tearing them down 
isn't going to fix this. But then again, why, why did we idolize and memorialize these men in the first place? Like, what is it with all our monuments? Um, and so there, you know, there's always this like flip side. If you're defending monuments, like what's that about? But then if you think tearing them down is going to fix it, what's that about? And then there's a more nuanced conversation to be had. And I think, you know, one of the struggles is that we as followers of Jesus and you and I in, of this world have grown up in a generation where our story is true. Mm. And it's a weird thing because I mean, let's just, and I'll, let me go out on a limb and say maybe something that's going to be really offensive. That what now? Uh, let me go out on a limb and say something that's maybe offensive. Ooh. There we go. Hey, brace yourselves. But when it comes to story and the African-American story, systematic racism exists. Yeah. When it comes to the data, it does not. Hmm. What happens is, is that we say, those who love the data, they pull it out of the story and they say, oh, look, it doesn't exist. There's no, there's no systematic. It's or, it's, or it's not that bad. Other people get beat up just as much or something. Yeah, whatever. I mean, there's enough, you know, but on the other hand, then the people with the story say, wait a minute, but my story says. Right. And my brother's story and his brother's story and his brother's story, well, they all say, so what happens is instead of us sitting down and saying, we have a problem, the data does point us to a problem. The story points us to a problem. Let's, let's deal with the problem. We're also trauma, we're also in a place where, well, your story is what matters. And, and so that's what we have to listen to. And that's what we have to act on. And that's what we have to move on. And it's like, well, we're in trouble. I mean, as a follower of Jesus, our job in a lot of ways is just to get, just to say from whatever point God has called us into the chaos. And I think it's very different. It can be the and people. It can be vote common good. It can be the pastor who's sitting talking on a podcast trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, it can be the guy who just looks at his neighbor and says, man, I have not loved you well. And so that's what I'm going to do for the next 20 years of my life is I'm going to love you in the way I never loved you before. There, there's, these are all the things God calls us. We're not, a, you know, all made the same. <laughs> You know, right. and that's the beauty is that God created us for particular works that he laid out for us, Ephesians tells us. And they're particular to us. They're not that particular, but they work and intersect with each other in order to do God's purposes. So when I think about it's a spiritual battle to go back to the beginning, the question is, what is the enemy keeping you from doing? What is he calling you to do that you don't, you know, what is God calling you to do that the enemy's like, you don't have it, you can't do it, you shouldn't, you know, and distracting you from a deeper pursuit of what God is inviting you into. And how do we, how do we deal with our frustration when we have this conviction of what we and the church should do and other people don't have the same one? Like you talked about the, the people in your church who kind of have the, they, they have strong convictions about something um, or even if it's not that strong, even if, even if somebody you, you say, I'm very pro this thing or anti this thing. And they go, I agree with you, but I, I'm not going to come to the rally because right. 
I need to stay home and make dinner. And they're just like, what, you know, you, how, like, this is the most important thing. Um, you know, what do we, what do we do with that? Well, you know, I mean, political movements, rallies, protests, those are the things of the youth, of youth. Yeah. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, how, how do you teach a community to offer dignity to one another? Like, to, like you said, you know, Bonhoeffer didn't just wake up at 17 and say, yes, I'm going to become this guy who stands up to power. And, right. you know, Bonhoeffer had to go through a process. And yeah. he got to his standing up to power. But others stood up to power differently. They right. Jews out of the country. They created orphanages and schools and then hid those kids and moved them out. They, they did lots of, they went. And to, some of them needed to be more covert with that because otherwise it wouldn't have worked. Right. You need, yeah. almost needed all the varying strategies, right? I think sometimes we forget that God created us. He loves our brains. He loves the way we do stuff. It's his design. He's going to work with those things and it's going to look different. The question is, 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 I mean, I think what people are trying to say that we're all wrestling with it when it comes to Donald Trump and why it's so either side is, is this a moral issue or not? Right. Right. Is Donald Trump as a person evil? And do we need to get rid of him? And I mean, evil in the sense of like, not in a theological sense. Because then the answer is yes, everybody's evil, yeah. but everybody's redeemable. Sure. Yeah. No, is, is he a force that the enemy is using in which we need to remove? If you're talking to the Lincoln Project, then yes. They believe that he is in opposition to morality and the rule of law. Yeah. And that he has infected the Republican Party. The if you're talking to Jerry Falwell Jr., he would say he is God's man doing what God, you know. Right? Yeah. Would he say that about Obama? Would he say that about, no, right? So it's. But right, so but that is the thing. It's on either side. It's a moral question. Right. I look at it and I'm like, I have a hard time because I, I think, you know, when you become president or powerful, you do corrupt things, no matter who you are. Oh, you I know. Yeah. Like, what what president didn't and, and so there's this corruption so is yeah. i am very wary of ever saying outside of god is over this person that they are god's man in the sense of mm -hmm. he's acting particularly as a moses type character now uh yeah i wouldn't say that either but then there's also the side that people are struggle with of the sovereignty of God that would be no matter how ridiculous a person might be, it doesn't mean that God doesn't use something in their life. Like, I, you know, and so is, and this is, this is the, we want it to be, it's like all one or all the other. So, you know, my temptation, cause I, you know, already I'm not a, I'm not a Trumpy guy myself, but the temptation for me is to think that a hundred percent of his decisions are wrong yeah. and that God doesn't use anything he does ever. Right. And that doesn't match up with my beliefs about God. 
but I can still, I can still hold attention of going, yeah, maybe, maybe some, you know, maybe there's some laws he's passed that are going to turn out to be for the best. Um, but I, I could still have my reasons to, you know, be skeptical of him as a leader. Yeah. Um, right. I think, and I think a lot of it is encouraging all of us to have grace for people who follow Jesus and who are on either side. Yeah. That yeah. Their story may not be truth, but it is their story. And there's a reason they hold those beliefs and we have to honor those and help each other see what we're believing in the context of the gospel. And we have to wrestle. Well, there's an assumption in there too, that your story isn't the absolute truth and that, and that, yeah. yeah. Your read on things isn't always it hardly ever is, and, I, and that's the beauty yeah. of God. And for me, that's the beauty of God's sovereignty, is that my view never is the right one. Right. And yet God is beautifully willing to intertwine our narratives into what he is moving us towards. What his, our, you know, I always think God's, God's sovereign journey it's not a linear line. It's a line that, that weaves together the free will of man into his purposes. Yeah. And yeah, that's like, the beautiful thing is like, I can trust that I can hear him, attempt to follow him, and he will do what he's going to do in the process. And my view may not be, may not be the right view, but it's also, a, it also has value because of, the image of God stamped upon me and the way he's intertwined my story with all the other ones. So I don't, you know, the thing that a lot of believers could do is just go, I can't make a difference or my viewpoint probably isn't even right. And they just disengage. Right. And the gospel doesn't call us to that, but it also doesn't call us to the version that says, I know all and everybody who doesn't see it my way is an idiot. Okay. Right. It's a, it's again with like, being a centrist, but it's uh, it's like I'm I have a lot of things wrong, but there's still value in what I bring to the table, and God will use all of it, and I can yeah. trust. Him. Yeah, and I think you know what we don't do as Christians is begin to look at what's happening around us as God trying to speak to us. Right. So, even even if it's disciplinary. Yes. Yeah. So you know, like all of the things that are happening within our culture about race, as a white man, I am called to think and pray and wrestle with my calling in that context. When we look at Donald Trump and his, you know, the things that he's done in office and the way that people are reacting to him, I have to say, okay, well, what is God trying to teach me here? What is he inviting me into? What is he calling me to? Like everything is a is an yeah. invitation deeper into relationship with God, and in that a response to God in action. Yeah, and I think we a lot of times just want to act or have an opinion or be right. Yeah, yeah. You know, there isn't an easy answer. I wish there was a candidate who one hundred percent represented the gospel. I wish there were policemen who one one hundred percent read. Like, but. What we really want is a candidate that absolutely represents ourselves. Yes. I want the candidate that does everything for me that I want. And uh, I think that aligns with the gospel. Yep. Because I like it. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, you know, yeah. you you read you read the Old Testament, and we you know there's sort of this underlying movement in the more right wing Christian thing to say we're a Christian nation, right? We're a nation of God, a Judeo Christian. Yeah. Well, when I look at the Old Testament, the only Judeo, you know, <laughs> government theocracy, it's terrible for the people who don't follow God at any level. Right. Like it's not just just that there's some moral thing, immoral thing happening out there. Like it, judgment comes down to the one guy stealing something. You know, right. it's just it's not. You don't want to claim that. You don't want to claim. <laughs> Yeah, it well right. I mean that's and that's more of the metaphor of the church, which is you know, which is clarified in Christ and I think that changes a dynamic in, in a incredible way, but it still shows us the it, it's it's not like the safe place to be to just be yourself or something. Right. <laughs> anyway, hey, um I actually have to run off to an appointment. It got to be there in eighteen minutes. So, all right. Um, let's uh, you comb your hair. So, you know. Yeah, I gotta go. Put on your makeup and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it'll be great.